0: Good morning. It is good to be here with all of you. And Robin, thanks for the kind words. It has been wonderful to uh, be growing in our friendship these past few months and uh, excited about, Lord willing, uh, Robin's ordination in the next uh, few weeks. Uh, I am a member of the committee, the Candidates and Credentials Committee in the Presbytery, that will be thoroughly grilling him in a few weeks. But I'm also helping him study, so I'm not purely malicious. So, uh, but it is, it's been a gift, brother, to see our friendship grow and looking forward to the years to come. Well, our scripture reading for this morning comes from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to 26. And uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, you can listen on as I read. And if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word together this morning, Galatians 5. 13 through 26, and the Apostle Paul continues with these words. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say... Well, a few years back, I was visiting some friends of mine on their family farm out in the country, and they had just recently adopted a highly trained but now retired German shepherd. This amazingly intelligent dog had been trained as a guard dog. It had lived for several years under a very strict regimen, and this dog knew more than 1,000 spoken commands. Remarkable animal. And now this German shepherd had been retired from service and adopted and he was set free on my friend's farm. Well, I walked up on that day to greet my friend who was standing on the other side of a wooden fence next to his German shepherd. And I did something that I instantly regretted. I waved to my friend and then I bent down and reached over the fence to pat his new dog on the head. And like a flash, the dog had launched at me and practically ripped my finger off as I lurched backward in surprise. And I can show you my scar if you want to see it after the service. Here was the problem as my friend later explained with many apologies to me. This German Shepherd now retired And set free from its life work, had grown restless, ornery, and sometimes, as I learned, violent. You see, this highly trained dog had been set free from its work, but it quickly became clear that he was not free at all. Because freedom for a dog with that kind of training is engaging with its work. It's doing what it is meant to do, even what it is made to do. And for a German shepherd, that's to work. And without that, there's no freedom for a dog like that. Well, my intention is not to compare us with dogs as I begin this morning, but freedom, I think, is the same way for us as human beings created in God's image. True freedom, as we think about what that means for us, we need to ask that same question, what are we made for? And our passage today from Galatians 5 answers that question as Paul is now filling out even further the Galatians' gospel freedom to which they are called in Christ. Here are my three points for this morning as we move through this text. We as God's people, along with these Galatian believers from the first century, are meant to live in the freedom of the God who made us. That's a freedom, first of all, to serve and love. It's the freedom to walk by the Spirit of God. And thirdly, it's the freedom to bear fruit. That's our picture of gospel freedom this morning. First of all, freedom to serve and love. Look with me at verses 13 to 15, if you will. And here's the point of these first verses, these first three verses. It's that freedom is an opportunity not for the flesh, but for service and love toward one another. You look first at the beginning of verse 13 again, Paul begins by making this important clarification that we in our church at CPC have been kind of circling around the last few weeks. It's this, gospel freedom is not an opportunity for the flesh. It's not an opportunity to do whatever you want to do. Remember, that is what freedom has come to mean so often to our culture today, hasn't it? That freedom is so often understood to be freedom from any moral authority over our lives. Freedom is understood as the right to indulge, the right to do whatever feels right, to love whomever we want to love, to elevate my free choice at any cost, and we all know too well that common phrase, my body, my choice. But just as he says in Romans chapter 6, Paul's answer to that picture of freedom is right away, by no means, no way is that the kind of freedom that we're talking about. Gospel freedom is not an opportunity for our flesh. It is not a license to sin. Keep reading with me in Second have a verse 13 into verse 14. If gospel freedom is not an opportunity for sin, what is the opportunity that we have now freely in Christ? According to Paul, it's an opportunity to serve. It's the freedom to love our neighbor. So Paul says, through love, serve one another. The entire law, he goes on to explain is in a way fulfilled in that one basic command, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is saying that's the essence of so much of the Old Testament law, love your neighbor as yourself. And so gospel freedom, according to the Apostle Paul, is a freedom toward service. It's a freedom in the direction of love toward obedience and love for our neighbor. Here's how Tim Keller Puts it in his little commentary on Galatians. He writes Christians are freed from the law as a way to win merit from God. That's really the point of the first four chapters of Galatians, isn't it? But we are not freed from the law as a way to please God. Rather, that obligation is increased. The law is an expression of God's nature and his heart. And thus, we now doubly owe it to him to use it, that is the law, to please and imitate him. You see, that's what makes sense of these verses. It's that our freedom in Christ frees us to serve and love others. And in loving our neighbors, we actually begin to fulfill the entire heart of the law of God and demonstrate our love for our Saviour. This truth, by the way, is why Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, can say to his disciples that wild phrase that must have shocked them, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. I mean, that was a statement that would have blown his disciples' minds because the Jews of Jesus' day couldn't imagine greater righteousness than the strict, law-abiding scribes and Pharisees, the teachers of the law. But Jesus was saying, it is only by following me that people can actually begin to fulfill the law of God. Perfection, true righteousness, goes through me. Only through faith in Christ can our righteousness exceed those law-abiding Pharisees in the time of Jesus and also now infecting the church in Galatia. You see, the problem with legalistic Pharisees then and now is not that they've gone too far in keeping the law of God, it's that they haven't gone far enough. They need to be made perfect in Christ through his finished work to then begin living in obedience as his perfectly free and perfectly declared righteous children. So here's what that means for you today as a Christian. Your freedom in Christ, the way to understand your freedom in Christ is that it is an opportunity to now freely serve your God and love your neighbor as only a Christian can. The teaching of Scripture is clear. Someone who does not know Christ, who does not have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of them, has no choice but to continue in sin. But you, if you are in Christ by faith, are free in a way that only Christians are free. Free to obey God, free to love your neighbor, and actually begin fulfilling the very heart, the essence of the law of God. Never perfectly, and yet more and more. And so you can see how these verses are really beginning to build to the climax of Paul's entire letter. As he's now beginning to build out this concept of gospel freedom for these Gentile Galatians. Believers, gospel freedom, we've learned in the first four chapters, it's freedom from the obligation of the law in earning favor with God. We can't earn his favor through the law. It's freedom from sin. It's freedom from God's wrath and judgment It's the freedom of resting in Christ alone, his finished work alone for our salvation. And now Paul is adding this additional picture of obedience. It's the freedom of a new opportunity to joyfully obey God as only his children truly can. And remember, this is the exact opposite of the way that so many people outside the church think about Christianity, isn't it? Those who are not part of the church, those who don't belong to Jesus, often think freedom is me being free to do what I want. And if I were to become a Christian, oh my goodness, if I were to join the church, I would become enslaved to God's rules. They got it backwards because God's word, the Apostle Paul is telling us this, slavery is our state apart from Christ. We are slaves to sin, even if we feel like we're doing whatever we want. But when we repent of our sin and turn in faith to Christ, receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it's then that we become truly free. It's a bit like Neo in The Matrix, if you've ever seen that movie. I don't necessarily recommend it. But he wakes up to realize that he's been connecting to wires and living in a virtual reality world. He's assumed he's free and an autonomous person living his own life. And really, he's been trapped inside this matrix the entire time. And that's in a way what the gospel does to us. We realize that although we felt like we were free apart from Christ, doing whatever we wanted to do, we were actually wired to sin. We were hooked up as slaves We were being used in service to Satan, even though we didn't know it. And in Christ, we break free. We are freed into service and obedience to God. So one simple question as we come to the end of this first point, and I'll have a question at the end of each of these three points. But here's the first one. Why do you obey God? As you think about the days ahead, even in this week, Why will you try to follow his commands, and how will you do that? And that's actually a question that can diagnose the posture of your heart toward God and your grasp of the gospel and gospel freedom. It's this question, do you obey God out of obligation? Kind of gritting your teeth and saying, I, I know I have to do this. Or do you obey because you are experiencing this sense of free, joyful opportunity to serve God and saying, God, thank you, I get to do this now. And friends, that shows up in almost every area of our obedience. Think about generosity. Robin prayed about generosity and what it does to our hearts as we give, what you do with your money. When you give... Do you grit your teeth and do it because you know you have to, you know you should? Or are you experiencing the freedom of saying as you give, I have an opportunity now to give generously and I know the joy of of God and his work in my heart freeing me more and more from the love of money as I give. Or think about the battle against sexual temptation. The decision about whether or not to look at a certain image on your computer. Instead of self-justifying and saying, well, I'm free to look at this, it's not that bad. Our call as Christians is to be saying more and more, thank God I am now free not to look at this. In Christ, I now can say no. And I'm actually enjoying saying no more and more. Or, back to Paul's focus in these verses on those around us, loving our neighbor, think about your service to others in ways that are costly or inconvenient. When your wife or your husband asks you to do that thing you don't like doing around the house, or when your children beg you for help the millionth time, or when you really don't feel like engaging with that one person at church. Who wants to have a conversation with you? Your freedom in Christ is an opportunity to love and serve others. Our response as spirit indwelt children of God is to be more and more, Jesus has freed me to do this. And actually, now I can do this. So, freedom toward love and service. Second point. Freedom, our gospel freedom, is freedom to walk by the Spirit. Look at verses 16 to 18. Freedom to walk by the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit. And the first thing you need to understand about these verses, look with me at verse 17, is that Paul is describing the battle that rages inside of each one of us. And what's this battle? It's a battle between our flesh on the one hand, our sinful nature, and our renewed Christian nature that is led by the Spirit of God within us. You see that there in verse 17, these two things Paul says twice, they are against each other and they are opposed to each other. Flesh versus spirit, sinful nature versus renewed spirit-led nature. And it's in these verses that Paul is bringing us to the now and not yet struggle of the life of faith. And here's the struggle. Even though we are spirit-indwelt Christians, you are a spirit-indwelt Christian if you've repented of your sin and trusted Christ alone. But this battle, this struggle, still rages inside of you. And if you don't know that battle, or if you claim you don't experience that struggle... That I'm going to call your bluff right now, if you are in Christ. Because you felt it last week. And you probably even felt it this morning before you got up and came to church. I know I did. This struggle within us is a battle that will rage inside of us until that day when we are made perfect in the presence of Jesus. That is, we are redeemed children of God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and yet, we feel and we know the struggles against the sinful desires of our fleshly nature. And if you belong to Christ, you know that struggle. This is the tension we live in as redeemed children of God and dwelt by the Spirit. The freedom now to actually obey God that's what we talked about in the first point freely, joyfully, not out of obligation. We're no longer slaves to sin but we still battle our sinful nature. There's one pastor who explains it helpfully this way. Three Ps. You may have heard it before. The penalty of sin, the power of sin, the presence of sin. And he explains this. As Christians, the the penalty for our sin has been taken away. That is the reality of justification. That you are declared righteous through the finished work of Jesus Christ, the penalty of sin has been paid. But not only that, through the Spirit of God indwelling you by faith in Christ, the power of sin over you has also been taken away. That is sanctification. We now have freedom to obey. We talked about that in the first point. You'll see it again in verse 24, crucifying the desires of the flesh. But we all know that we still live with the presence of sin in our lives until one day even the presence of sin in our lives will finally be taken away. That will be the day of glorification. And so justification delivered from sin's penalty, sanctification more and more delivered from sin's power, but one day glorification delivered even from sin's presence. And in these verses here, 16 to 18, Paul is landing squarely in sanctification land. What does it look like to be more and more delivered from the power of sin in our lives as we wage this war? And Paul's answer is simple and yet profound. We walk by the Spirit. We are led by. By the Spirit. We choose not to gratify. You notice he uses that word. Or in other words, not to feed the desires of our flesh, that sinful nature that's still there. And the opposite of that, by the way, is we gratify the Spirit. We feed the Spirit. Now here's why these commands from Paul are so beautiful. It means that you, as a Spirit-indwelt Christian, have all the resources you need, even in this life, to fight this battle. And not only to fight it, but to begin winning it. Now, it won't be a final victory until we meet Jesus, until our resurrection bodies, until the presence of sin is finally gone, but it will be a winning fight because of the Spirit. That's what Paul's saying in these verses. There's a A war waging within you, but the spirit within you is greater than the flesh. And so Paul can say, walk by the spirit, be led by the spirit, feed the spirit, stop feeding, stop gratifying your flesh. Now just to clarify here, what Paul is saying to us and what I'm preaching to you this morning from these verses is not moralism or legalism. It is not saying, do this in order to earn favor with God. Here's what Paul is saying, redeemed children of God, saved entirely by grace, walk according to the Spirit who now dwells within you entirely by the free, gracious gift of God. It's not moralism. It's living in light of who you are and who dwells inside of you. So I asked you at the end of the first point, why do you obey? And let me ask you this question at the end of this second point. What are you feeding? Which army within you are you equipping with weapons to fight the battle that rages within you? Uh, I've, I've been rereading and relearning a bit about the Revolutionary War in the past few months, and I've been reminded about how absolutely key the French were to the Continental Army and their Success in defeating the British and you might know the French at that point as the Revolutionary War began were in a tough spot Because they had this ongoing rivalry with Great Britain But they didn't want to risk all-out war with them if they openly supported the American Revolution And so what they did is they began secretly shipping Military supplies to George Washington and the Continental Army at the beginning of the war and so overtly they were staying neutral Hey, England, we're staying out of this. But covertly, they were actually supplying tons of weapons, ammunition, and supplies to the American Continental Army. So at the risk of sounding anti-French, I want to say, don't be like the French when it comes to the war being fought between the spirit and the flesh inside of you. Because certainly no one would sit here this morning and say, I'm supplying my flesh. I'm feeding my sinful nature. But are you covertly equipping your flesh? Are you supplying your sinful nature? Paul says, don't feed it, don't gratify it, starve it. And use your freedom to obey God's word, be killing sin, walk by the Spirit. Okay, third aspect of our gospel freedom, 19 to 26, it's the freedom Thirdly, to bear fruit. These beautiful verses, these final verses of our passage, give us this stark contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And those words, by the way, works versus fruit, are very intentional from Paul. First of all, the works of the flesh. Look at verses 19 to 21. And notice Paul says these things are evident, they are obvious. In other words, no surprises here, folks. Well, it comes from the flesh. Now, a lot of commentators point out that these works of the flesh break down into three categories there are sinful actions, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. There is sinful worship, that is, idolatry, sorcery. And then there is sin in relationships. So enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, divisions. In other words, Paul is saying, here's how the flesh works. Here's the results of living according to your sinful nature. You indulge in all kinds of sinful behavior without restraint. You worship false gods. And you destroy relationships with the people in your life. And Paul's explaining, this is what the sinful nature, this is what the flesh does. These are the evident results of living by our flesh. And we can see this just as clearly today as the Galatians could have seen it 2,000 years ago. The way that sexual sin and, and the unrestrained pursuit of pleasure wreaks havoc on a person's life over the years. We know that. The way that the worship of idols, whether it be money or career or power or fame, brings hollowness and emptiness and finally despair or we see the way that people driven by selfishness and pride and anger absolutely destroy relationships even with those they love and so often make a shipwreck of their friends and families. And really, the carnage from these behaviors that we see in this life is just a foretaste of what hell must be like. Paul says those things will keep you out of the kingdom of God. But I want to spend most of our time in this third point on the fruit of the Spirit. And a few couple, a couple quick observations you need to notice. First of all, fruit, verse 22, is singular. It is not fruits, it is fruit. This is ultimately one Spirit-empowered growth that begins to shoot out of the lives of the children of God. It is singular fruit. And that means, by the way, that you don't get to pick and choose. As you look at this list of these nine aspects of this fruit, you can't say as you're reading these verses, well, I got five out of nine. I mean, that's 55%. That's a really good basketball field goal percentage. An amazingly good baseball batting average. I mean, I don't have patience or gentleness or self-control, but I still got a majority. We can't say that because it's fruit. It is a package deal. Now, the singular nature of fruit also implies that this growth may not happen all at once. Because this is meant to be a full and comprehensive picture of the Spirit's fruit in our lives. And we should expect that it will grow up together, all of it, gradually and over time. And it's true that some parts may grow more quickly than others. Second observation, the metaphor that Paul uses, the picture that he's using, is fruit, which is an organic metaphor. What I mean by that is it's something that happens naturally. And if the organic thing, the the plant, the vine, the tree, whatever, if it's alive, then fruit is going to come off of it inevitably. It's going to happen. This fruit is inevitably going to grow off of the life of a spirit-indwelt Christian. Now, it's worth spending so much more time on this list than we will today. I've heard of pastors who've preached entire series just on these nine words, one sermon on each word. But for today, just look with me quickly, starting in verse 22, these pieces of the overall fruit of the Spirit that Paul is identifying, first of all, love. That's the Greek word agape, the the unconditional love with which we are called to love both God and our neighbor. The love with which God has loved us in sending his son, agape love. Joy. That is the deeper than happiness kind of joy that endures, it is deep, it is sustaining, nothing can touch it, joy. Joy. Peace, as opposed to restlessness, anxiety, high stress, combativeness, peace is meant to exude from our lives. Patience, the word there in the Greek is actually long suffering. It's the word used to describe God in Romans chapter 9, even the way that God suffers long with the people who rebel against him. Kindness and goodness, those are also. God-like words, qualities that reflect God's kindness, God's goodness, faithfulness. Actually, just one word in the Greek, pistis, faith. Gentleness. Isn't that an interesting part of the fruit of the Spirit? Not just for women. Men and women, a fruit of the Spirit, a Spirit-led person, is being gentle. Finally, self-control. It's a word that means literally self-mastery. And it begs the question, are you the master of yourself or are you mastered by your own fits of anger or pleasure or indulgence or laziness? And so this picture of the fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, here's the third question at the end of this third point, Friends, what is growing off of you? Because this is the fruit, singular fruit, organic fruit. In other words, inevitable fruit for those who truly belong to Christ. What is growing from your life? What is falling down and feeding those around you? What would those closest to you say? In response to that question. Well, as we close, I actually want to cover verse 25 now as we move toward application because I think Paul comes back to this verse for the purpose of encouragement, now that I've all made you feel very guilty. Look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now listen, friends, that description of the fruit of the Spirit, those nine words we just went over, that can be an absolutely overwhelming picture, and it ought to be. Because none of us is there yet. And something on that list hopefully just convicted you. Hopefully the Spirit pricked your conscience. Maybe it was self-control, gentleness, kindness, patience pricked my soul. And you realize, I got some more fruit growing that still needs to happen in my life. But here's where verse 25 comes in because Paul is saying this with this verse, keep in step with the Spirit, in case, friends, you forgot where this fruit's going to come from. In case you forget where the power will come from as you battle your sinful nature, even this week, and seek to bear fruit. In case you forget what drives your joyful, free obedience to God's word, remember, people of God, it is the Spirit. This is the supernatural work of the Spirit of God within you. When you walk in step with the Spirit, the Spirit grows the fruit. This is not something you can manufacture by your own strength. You never could. You cannot make yourself long to obey God. You cannot make yourself grow fruit. But you can prayerfully and humbly walk in step with the Spirit who lives within you by faith in Christ. How do you do that? Well, I just want to suggest as we close that one way you do it is you put yourself in the path of the Spirit's ordinary, normal, wonderful work. Uh, Perhaps you've heard of the little parable of the man who really wanted to get a nice suntan. And he walked around his house all day hoping to get tan. And he watched movies about the sun. And he thought a lot about the beach. He even dreamed about the beach. But it didn't work. He was still pasty white. Now it's silly, I know, but what did that man realize he needed to do if he wanted to get a suntan? He needed to go outside and put himself in the unobstructed view of the sun's rays. He needed to lay out underneath an open, warm, sunny sky and allow the heat and the warmth and the light of the sun to shine down and bake his skin. And so as Christians who want to walk in step with the Spirit, who want the Spirit to affect, change, to grow fruit, we need to put ourselves in the places where the Spirit of God has promised to work. The Word of God, the Church of Christ, the Lord's Supper we have before us, fellowship with our Beloved spirit and dwelt believers, the people of God, prayer and confession and singing and worship, this is where the Spirit shines his rays. People of God, put yourselves under its warmth. Walk in step with the Spirit. So let me close by saying this, Christian, the freedom you have in Christ is glorious. It is what you were made for. It's the opportunity to serve your God and love your neighbor. It is walking by the Spirit rather than gratifying your flesh, and it is bearing fruit as the Spirit does his work in you. So this week, relish your freedom in Christ. Freely, joyfully obey God as your Father. Generously feed the Spirit and rejoice in starving your flesh. And pray that fruit would grow more and more as you walk in step with the Spirit. Let me pray. Our Lord God, we do thank you that in the week ahead, what we have in our lives as Christians is uh, not merely truths that require our mental assent, uh, not merely a book of rules or instructions, Lord, we do have truths, we do have your law, but we have the supernatural indwelling of the very Spirit of God who equips us for battle, who has given us strength to crucify the flesh, who has given us freedom to obey you, not as slaves, but as children. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone in this room that we would, even in the week ahead, walk in step with the Spirit. What a gift. What freedom that is. We pray for strength to do that well. In Jesus' name, amen.